Chapter Fifteen of Miss Philura's Wedding Gown by Florence Morse Kingsley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. That same evening, the Reverend Silas Pettibone sat alone in his study. There was belated work to be done on the Sunday sermons, but for once the minister's trained mind refused to obey him. He was thinking with a worried frown that this was the Saturday evening he had specified, in his conversation with Elder Trimmer, as the date on which half the amount of salary must be paid. He recalled his own words with regret, realising that he had acted under the urge of a strong and unwonted impulse. At the time his course had appeared right and proper, but more than once since he had experienced uncomfortable qualms of doubt. Should he be compelled to take the matter up in Presbyterial conclave, as he had distinctly threatened to do, what would be the outcome for himself? He was perilously near the deadline, as some zealous advocate of the young man in the pulpit idea has termed fifty years. What if he had taken the bull by the horns, only to be tossed on one side in the struggle? Should he lose his pulpit in Innisfield through any ill-advised effort to collect the arrears in his salary, could he, with his already silvered hair, obtain another? And if he could not, what about his approaching marriage to Miss Philura? The thought of her warmed his chill heart like a cordial. How beautiful she had looked that day, all glorified as she was with the joys of service to others. Not even the youthful bride, in the opinion of the minister, could compare with her. His dismal cogitations gradually assumed a brighter tone. He was not old, he told himself. Even at forty-three, the deadline was still in the perspective. And what, after all, was the deadline? He gazed steadily at the hateful phantom, compelling its shrouded shape to shrink and dwindle into a kernel of wholesome truth. A man, and by a man Mr. Pettibone meant a preacher, a man might be dull and platitudinous at twenty-five. He might be spiritually ossified at thirty. At forty, he might even be turning his barrel once a twelve-month, compelling his congregation to subsist solely upon dry-as-dust dogma, gleaned years before from commentaries and man-made theologies while at fifty he might be alive, forceful, panoplied with the whole armour of God, wielding the sword of the Spirit with mighty sinews. Yes, this was the truth. Avaunt, foolish spectre of the deadline! Never again should it torment him. Through the silent house rang a sudden peal of the doorbell. After a discreet interval he heard the shuffling step of his domestic on her way to answer it. Then followed a subdued sound of voices. Mr. Pettibone arose and opened the door of his study. Abby Stiles sometimes took it upon herself to debar visitors from the ministerial presence, more particularly of a Saturday evening. On this occasion, Mr. Pettibone found himself faced with a solemn delegation of five men, and for an instant his breath stopped while his heart pounded furiously. Then, with outward composure, he ushered Elders Trimmer, Puffer and Swan, and Deacons Scrimger and Twombley into his study, carefully closing the door behind them, 
to the manifest discomfiture of Miss Stiles, who scented the unusual in this nocturnal visit. "'If they've come to sass him, as is the salt of the earth if ever there was salt, I've got my opinion of them,' Miss Stiles muttered darkly as she withdrew to her kitchen. "'And him never finding fault with anything since the day I come, and me with constant bad luck with my bread, what with the yeast souring on me. Elder Trimmer, as was right and proper, began the conversation, amid a tremendous clearing of throats and flourish of Sabbath handkerchiefs. <clears throat> we called this evening to take up that little matter of our indebtedness to you, Mr. Trimmer announced in his best prayer-meeting tone. The Lord has been pleased to crown our efforts with a goodly measure of success. He paused dramatically, and again the assembled dignitaries broke into what might be termed pious coughing, a distinct variety of bronchial weakness peculiar to the sanctuary. A goodly measure of success, repeated Mr. Trimmer oratorically. It, um, in short, occurred to some of us that at this time of the year when peace on earth, good will to men ought to prevail, well, we should not permit any laxity, as it were, on the walls of Zion. We have therefore put our hands to the plough, and as a result, I have the distinguished pleasure of handing you the whole amount due you to date, and, um, well, a little reminder of affection for our pastor in addition. It is in the form of a cheque on our local bank. Mr. Pettibone received the envelope which Mr. Trimmer tendered him with a stately inclination of the head. He had been revolving some dignified sentences relating to his personal sense of gratitude to deity that his church had been blessed in this as in other particulars, but when he tried to utter these appropriate platitudes, his voice quite unexpectedly failed him, and he grasped the hands outstretched to meet his from all sides without a word. It was Deacon Scrimger who finally voiced the general feeling, when he said in his high nasal tones, "'You ain't no better pleased to get it, and we be to give it, Dominie. I guess we was getting kind of dead in trespasses and sins, but you roused us up just in time. Praise the Lord. So once again was a mountain removed and cast into the sea by that potent instrumentality known as faith, this time assuredly of the mustard seed variety. End of chapter 15